guys can have a seat. Once again, just give uh, Lauren and the band a round of applause. I really love that last song that they just did. It's going to tie in perfectly to what we're talking about, so I don't know if you knew that or not, but well done on the planning of the songs. Um, Before we get started today, my name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors on staff, and before we kind of dive into what we're going to be talking about today, I wanted to share something with you guys. We've been walking through this series called I Matter for the bulk of the summer, and we've been talking about how do we know that we matter to God, how do we let other people know that they matter to us, and we have an opportunity the next two weeks to really let a couple groups of people know that they matter. Um, Next weekend and the weekend after that, we're going to have a couple of the missionaries that we support here at Adventure. And after the second service on both Sundays, we're going to be holding luncheons for them. Now, if you know a lot about missionaries, or even if you don't know a lot about missionaries, one of, the th- one of their biggest fears, and one of the things that affect a lot of missionaries, is the, the fear that they go away and everyone forgets about them. And so that when they come back to the U.S., when they come back home, none of their friends remember them, or it's been like, oh yeah, I kind of, yeah. And so for the next two weeks, we're going to hold some lunches for the missionaries we support. And we would love it if to just surround them with people saying, hey, we're cheering you on. We're proud of the work that you're doing. Um, next Sunday, I've got to make sure I get the order right because it's two Sundays. Okay, the Berglunds who are working in Indonesia are going to be here July 3rd. And we're going to have a luncheon at noon. And then the following Sunday, July 10th, the Wordermans from Barbados are going to be here. And if you know them or if you would like to learn more about the work they're doing, at the Info Center, really encourage you guys to sign up to be a part of that lunch to let them know, hey, we are proud of you. We are praying for you while you're there, and we, uh, we remember you guys. So make sure you guys do that if you um, have the opportunity or chance, but we're going to go ahead and dive into today. So like I said earlier, we've been talking about, for the most of the bulk of the summer, this idea of I matter. And you notice there's a question mark on it because we're talking about how do we know we really matter? How do we know what makes us matter? How do we make other people feel like they matter? And I'll, I've got a question I want to kind of kick us off with today. What kind of people do you want to be surrounded by? What kind of people do you want as coworkers, as neighbors, as friends, as relatives? What kind of people do you want to be surrounded by? If we think about it and we start to talk, talk to each other for a second, we'd probably say some stuff like, well, I'd want my boss to be kind of like an understanding boss, you know, to understand when I need time off or, or you know, to understand when I'm having a bad day. Or if we were the boss, we'd say, you know, I want employees that go the extra mile, that I don't have to, like, constantly check up on their work. We'd say that we'd want, we want neighbors who are not crazy, but yet at the same time fun to be around. You know, you don't really want them, like, getting arrested at 3 in the morning and waking you up. And yet at the same time, you want to be able to go over and say hi and have a good conversation. You want your kids to have friends that really pour into them and encourage them and lead them in good directions. You want to be, you want to, you just want to be surrounded by people who really do a good job of making other people feel important. We all know that. We all like, that's not a, that's not like a, you know, rocket science. We know what kind of people we want to surround us. The only difficult thing is, is do we want to be those kind of people? And here's what I'm talking about. Last week, I took a bunch of middle school kids to camp. We got back yesterday morning. And right before we left for camp, I realized something. I'm going to be leaving on Sunday, and Game 7 of the NBA Finals is Sunday night, and the NBA Draft is Thursday, and there's no, there's no internet or cell phone reception at this camp that we're going to. Maybe I can fake a sickness and not have to take them to camp. Because, I mean, honestly, what's more important? 
taking kids and, and spending a week and having them experience Jesus or watching Game 7. And for, for a brief moment, I was like, how much trouble would I be? And, but then obviously, okay, I, took, I, I, I went to camp. But here's the deal. We all have those struggles every day where we know what kind of people we want to be, but then there's reality. Like, we all want really, really good friends who are going to be there for us and help us in a pinch. But do we want to be the friend that shows up on Saturday and helps them move a couch, a bedroom set, uh, all these boxes up two flights of steps into their new apartment? Do we really want to be a good friend? Now, we all want good friends, but we, do we want to be that friend? Or We all want a spouse that is ready for romance at any time. But do we want to be the guy that sits there and listens and invest time and energy and turns off the TV and, you know, we know what we want others to do, but do we want to be the person that does that ourselves? And so often I think the thing is, is that we don't really want to. We know what kind of people we want other people to be. It's just really, really hard to be that kind of person ourselves. And so what I want to look at today is a passage of scripture in John. We've been walking through the book of John this whole summer. And in John chapter 12, there's a passage of scripture where Jesus kind of explains why this is so hard. He explains why it is that we all know what kind of people we want others to be, but why it's so hard to be that ourselves. So if you have a Bible or a tablet or a phone or whatever it is you used to read the scripture on, we're going to be in John chapter 12, and we're going to look at two verses. John chapter 12, verses 24 and 26. And in John chapter 24 and 26, we see why this, this is such a problem and why we have such a hard time with this. Here's what Jesus says in these verses. John chapter 12, starting verse 24. Very truly I tell you, Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. Okay, we can all understand that. We get that. You have to plant stuff in the ground for it to grow. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Okay, yeah, we're still tracking. We get that. Here's where it gets tough. Anyone who who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. See, Jesus is laying out a principle here, laying out an an idea and a concept that we intuitively get. It's just extremely hard to do. He he uses the analogy of um, farming and growing stuff. He's like, look, if you want to get a crop of wheat or a crop of corn, you've got to plant corn seeds. Those corn seeds are going to die. But out of their death, you get a whole new corn stalk, and it produces a lot of life. In the same way, guys, if we're going to see life develop in those around us, if we're going to be the kind of people that bring life to those around us, then we have to die to ourselves so that others can have life. We have to be the people who sacrifice our wants, our needs. And if if you get one thing out of today, I hope you take this home, this idea. Because we've been talking about I matter a lot. If we want our lives to matter, then we have to live for more than just ourselves. If we want our lives to matter in this world, it can't just be all about us. There's got to be something more. There's got to be a bigger purpose. And intuitively, I think we all get that. We all understand that. We know that living for something more than ourselves brings satisfaction, brings fulfillment. But we're really, really scared to do it. Why? Because dying does not sound fun. Dying to self does not sound fun. There are fears that are attached to it. And what I think most of us do, if we were honest with ourselves, is that we don't really like to admit that we're afraid, so we disguise fear 
with under the umbrella of, well, what's reasonable? Well, what's the smart thing to do here? You know, is it really the best use of my time to go to camp? I mean, camp is far away. It's a long drive time. And I am an NBA fan. And for me to continue my NBA fandom, the smart thing to do might be to just, you know, I mean, after all, I've invested a lot of hours in watching games this season. It's kind of a close team that's going to be playing in the finals, you know? This is for the good of the community. Maybe I need to be there. And, you know, it's like, no, there's something you want, and you're trying to disguise it under the sound of reasonableness. And so what we're going to do today is I want to take a look at three fears that are all extremely real, all extremely common. And I think what it is is that these are the three things, and there might be more, but these are three things that we're afraid of that keep us from dying to ourselves, that keep us from being the very people we want everyone else to be. And so the very first thing that we're going to take a look at is the fear of missing out. Okay? If I'm going to die to myself, one of the first things that we're afraid of is what am I going to miss out on? Because there's so much more to do. If I'm going to, do, if I'm going to invest in my neighbors, if I'm going to invest in my coworkers, if I'm going to invest in kids, or if I'm going to invest in somebody else, there's this idea of, okay, well, what, what, is that, what am I going to miss out on? Like, literally for me, I missed out on Game 7 of the NBA Finals, but after I came back, I realized I guess I didn't miss out. But I did miss the NBA draft, and one of the things I was thinking about is, like, I have a group of friends, and one of them now lives in Texas, one of them lives in um, Indiana, and we would always just watch the drafts together back in the day, and we'd comment on, okay, this player, that player. We still do that today. We do it over Twitter and stuff like that. And it's like, okay, if I miss the draft, I'm going to miss that really fun opportunity. One of the things I love to do is I love to read. And I read a statistic the other day that there are about 850 books published every single day in just the U.S. I'll never get to read all the books that that are published. Probably I'm okay with maybe four or 500 never getting to read those. But, you know, there's some of those, like, even if I just look at the books that I want to read, I'll never get a chance to read all of them. There's so much more to do. There's so much that can happen in this world. And one of the things I really think that holds us back from investing in other people is this fear of missing out. If I start investing in you, or if I start investing in them, what am I going to miss out on? What is it that's gonna, that I'm going to not be a part of? But as I was thinking about this, I started to think about, um, there's a girl and a guy that I know. That, uh, before I moved here, I was part of a team that planted a church on a college campus. And where we planted the church was right next to the dorms where the swim team at the University of Louisville stayed. So at our church, we had a lot of the swim team that was participating. We were literally the closest church, and we did a lot of outreach and work with them. And a couple of those swimmers are now at the U.S. Olympic trials, getting ready to try to compete for Olympic medals. And one of the things that I, I got to realize over the four or five years getting to know a lot of them is that they lead incredibly boring lives. Here's what I mean by that. They get up at 4 a.m., and then they go to the pool for two hours. Then they go to breakfast. Then they usually do some sort of weight training or some sort of exercise or fitness or something like that. Then they go to class for three to four hours. Then they have some sort of like, you know, lunch, mid-afternoon meal. Then they have like mandatory study time. Then they usually have some sort of evening practice. Then there's like individual um, skill building that they do. And remember, these are college students, 18 to 22-year-olds. And they go to bed at 9 or 10 o'clock at night. And they do that five or six nights in a row that they're going to bed at 9 or 10 and getting up at 4 a.m. And it's like... Do you, not, do you not realize how much you guys are missing out on? I mean, these, these are your college years. These are supposed to be some of the best years of your life. Guys, do you not understand? There's so much more to do. And if you asked any of them, is it worth it? Is it worth missing out on all this? They'd be like, yeah, because I'm competing to be an Olympic medalist. 
See, it's okay to miss out on these other things because there's a purpose that I'm pursuing. And for a lot of us, here's what I think will, will start to happen. The fear of missing out on life will lose power when we replace busyness with purpose. See, a lot of us are really, really busy. There's so many different things we want to do. There's so many different things we want to be a part of, but it's not really leading anywhere. And so we're very hesitant to ever commit to anything because we're like, well, what if I miss this? What if I miss this? What if I miss this? And the thing is, we're not really doing anything. Yeah, we're busy. We're busy every single day. I've never met anyone over the age of 13 that's not busy. All of us are busy people. But is what we're doing purposeful? Is it leading anywhere? Is it taking us anywhere? One of the things that I've noticed about our culture is we're incredibly desperate for meaning, but we're terrified of commitment. And usually, meaning follows commitment. You don't get a lot of meaning over trying a million new things only once and then moving on to the next thing. Meaning usually develops over time as you continue to invest, as you continue to build, as you continue to grow with something. And so for you, if you're someone today who's like, I know God is calling me into doing something, but I've been scared about what, it's gonna, what I'm going to have to give up, what I'm going to miss out on. My, my word to you is that when you have purpose, the fear of missing out loses power. Purpose is infinitely better than busyness. And so maybe for some of you, you know, we've been talking about in the fall, we're going to try to do a grand opening as we continue to get different areas of this building put together. And we've said, okay, one of the things we've been talking about as a staff is that we probably need to add about... 25 to 30 volunteers that if so that if when we have a grand opening in the fall if we have a bunch of people that come in and want to kind of check out the church get to know things there's a bunch of different spots where we're going to need to make sure we have volunteers in place and so maybe for you you've been asked hey would you consider volunteering on one of these teams or maybe god's been prompting you to start serving here at adventure and you're like yeah but can i really give up two whole hours once a month there's so much to do you know there's i'm so busy and it's like yeah i'm not denying that you're busy i will never deny that you're busy but what about purpose? What about seeing people grow? What about seeing four- and five-year-olds or, or elementary kids each week get to know a little bit more about Jesus' love? Or what about being the person at the front door who every time somebody walks in, they see a smiling face that says, hey, glad you were here. That before they ever walk into this room, they felt like they've encountered the love of God because of how our greeting team was awesome and helping people connect. There's purpose in that. And it's so much better than busyness. But maybe that's not you. Maybe the fear you have isn't that you're so busy. Maybe the thing that you're afraid of is disappearing. What if I die to myself and no one notices? What if I, what if I do all this serving and it doesn't work? What if I'm really investing in things and no one, no one seems to notice or it doesn't seem to make much of a difference? And the thing that I would say in this, and this is something that Scott preached on a couple weeks ago too, is our identity has to be in Christ and not in other people. Our identity has to be in Christ and not in other people. And the reason, the reason this is true is that because as long as our, our identity is in Christ, we don't have to be afraid of dying because we know who holds us on the other side of death, both physically and death to self, death to our own wants, death to our own ambitions. See, the fear of disappearing loses power when we find our identity in Christ and not other people. Some people really have a hard time dying to themselves because, and if you're like me at all, you like to evaluate everything by this question. Is it working? Is it working? And if you're investing in other people, 
it's really hard to tell a lot of times, is this working? Because people are a long-term project. I mean, just think about your children or think about kids that you know if you have like nieces or nephews or whatever. It takes at least 18 years to see if it worked. Sometimes it takes 25 to 30 years to see if it worked, okay? You, you can't really evaluate a three-year-old and be like, so far, little Johnny, you've not been a good uh, investment here. You're still making messes everywhere after three years. You know, you can't do that. But a lot of times we want to treat people that we're investing in like this because we're like, okay, my time is valuable. And if I invest in you or if I'm spending time with you, is this a good use of my time? Because if I'm, if I'm wrapped up with you, what about all the other people that, could be, that I could be getting to know? One of the things that I always think about when I think about this topic is my mother. Um, my mother is not famous at all. None of you know her. Well, I guess a few of you might have met her or know her or something like that. Or she tends to Facebook friend everyone that I know. So uh, some of you probably do know her. Um, but she grew up in a pretty abusive alcoholic home. And she made the decision when she was 17, she's walking away from that lifestyle. She's walking away from that pain. She's going to not live like what she'd seen growing up. And so she married my dad. And for the rest of her life so far, she's just invested in kids. Little, she's worked in her entire life in either preschools or daycares. And she has changed more lives than almost anyone I know because she just loves kids well. And you know this as a parent, if you're a parent. If someone loves your kid well, you like them. You like anyone who loves your kids well. And so she loves all these little kids. She'd build relationships with the parents. And she'd invite all these parents. Anytime there was a tragedy, anytime there was a crisis, anytime there was a hard time, she'd say, well, why don't, why don't you come to church with us? We'd love to have you at church. I'd love, to meet, I'd love you to meet some of my friends and some people. And for 30-something years, she's invested in people. Like, she's never going to be famous for it. Like I said, no one's going to really know her in the grand scheme of things, but there are going to be dozens of people in heaven because of her investment in the lives of others. It was so funny. Speaking of Facebook, um, I think it was around Halloween this last year or something like that. I was scrolling through Facebook, and there's this like 18 or 19-year-old girl um, with my parents at their house, and she's like, had to make a stop and see Rick and Lisa Jones. Love them so much. I'm like, who is this girl? I don't even know who she is. Like, well, These are my parents, but okay, whatever. And uh, found out the story. Once again, my mom and dad had been investing in somebody who they saw could really use some love, use some care, and she thought it was important enough that on her Halloween tour of different parties and stuff like that to stop by my mom and dad's house because that's the power of investing in others. We, this whole idea of missing out or this whole idea of I'm going to disappear. Now, you've got to understand, Christ himself has told us that when you invest in others and then when he is with you, you're never alone. Some of the promises we have from scriptures, Jesus himself says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will never abandon you. I will be with you always. If you're afraid of investing in others because you're afraid that you're going to lose relational connections or that you're going to be alone, the thing to understand is that Christ is more powerful than any other set of relationships. Christ is enough for all of us. He will make sure that we are never alone. We're never, we never need to be afraid. He walks with us always. And so if you're, you have this fear of disappearing, that if I start serving others, Who's going to take care of me? Who's going to notice me? Who's going to be the one that pours into me? That's what the body of Christ does. We pour into each other. So we don't have to worry about ourselves because everybody else is worried about us. We get the chance to worry about each other. Well, I guess worry is not the best word to use there. But we get to pour into each other. We get to care for each other. We never have to take care of number one because when we make ourselves number two, everybody else is making us number one. 
The third and final fear I kind of want to talk about today, and this is the one that's probably the most real, the fear of pain. Dying to self sounds like it hurts. I mean, the word die does not usually conjure up great images. Oh, that sounds like fun. I'm sure that's a breeze. I'm sure that's easy. We'll have no problem with this. We are a culture that will go to great lengths to avoid discomfort. And I'm not necessarily knocking that. I'm not necessarily saying that's a bad thing. If you say, hey, Jeremy, would you rather go to Ruth Chris or McDonald's? I'm not going to feel bad about saying, well, if you're buying, let's go to Ruth Chris. You know, like we want the best things. We don't want anything that's second rate. We don't want anything that feels the least bit uncomfortable. You know, you'll notice this like you buy something and it's really, really good and it's really, really great until you see someone who has something better. And you start to look at your own car, your own whatever it is, and you're like, hmm, man, they have Bluetooth in their car, and I still got to stick this stupid auxiliary cord in to listen to my songs on iPhone. Oh, this is such a bad vehicle, you know? Uh, or you, you do something like that. You just start to compare. You, like, you ever go to someone's house who has really nice vaulted ceilings, and then you walk into your house, and it feels like your head's bumping the ceiling every time? You're like, what is this? These, these stupid 10-foot ceilings? I need, a, I need a grand room like they have or whatever. We do not like discomfort, and we're in a culture that constantly tells us you're uncomfortable because there's something better out there. There's something more out there. And so we, we tend to not want to invest in others. We tend to want to avoid making other people feel like they matter because it's uncomfortable. Let's face it. People can be weird. Do I really want to invest in them? They seem kind of off. They seem kind of funny. I don't know what their, what their deal is. But here's the, here's the shift that we're going to make. Here's the shift that we're going to make. The fear of pain loses power when we start to look at sacrifice as an investment and not a cost. An investment and not a cost. Here's what I mean by that. We all know these women who seem to want to have children. Like, you're like, why? Do you not understand the cost of having a child? It's nine months of what sounds like, to me, pretty uncomfortable agony, followed by at least a couple hours, maybe even up to, you know, 15, 20 hours of excruciating agony. Why on earth do you want to have this, this human child? What's well, because I really want this child. A child that brings such joy. A child brings such, like, it's so awesome to watch them grow up. It's so awesome to increase the amount of love in this world. And you're like, yeah, but you know how much it costs. The thing is, they're not looking at it as a cost. They're looking at it as an investment. Here's what it, here's the cost, yes, but here's what you get in return. Here are the things that you get out of a relationship with a child. Here's the things that you get to do as you see them grow. There's a scripture I guys want to share with you because it explains the whole reason behind why Jesus died and it gives us encouragement too. And in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 12 to 3, the writer says, When we're fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and protector, uh, perfecter of faith. And listen, this is what Jesus did. For the joy set before him. And that's, that phrase right there is key. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He didn't jump up on the cross thinking, hey, this is going to be fun. This is going to be a great time. This is going to be awesome. No, but for the joy set before him. On the other side of the cross, he endured the cross, scorning scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus died for us because he said there's something better on the other side of death. There's relationship restored. There's hope found. There are broken lives that are made whole. 
all on the other side of death. So yes, the cross is painful. The cross is agony. But it's not just a cost. It's an investment. And the investment on the other side is so much better. And so for so many of us, there's something God has been calling us to do. There's something that he, God has been calling us to invest in or to make. And we've been so afraid because we look at how much it's going to cost us. We look at the time it's going to cost us. We look at the resources. We look at something else and we're like, am I willing to give all this up? And you're like, no, because it's going to cost me so much. But the idea is not to look at it as a cost. The idea is to look at it as an investment. Most of the things that we do in the kingdom do not have an immediate return. Everything we do in the kingdom pays off eventually. It says that the word of God never leaves and comes back void. Anytime we invest in others, anytime we follow what God says to do, there's rarely ever an immediate response. We're like, hey, that was a good idea. It always pays off in the end. I want to invest in stocks and bonds that pay off 20 years from now really, really, really well. Yeah, I'm going to lose money right now. Yeah, it's going to cost me something. That's money I can't spend on other things. But 20 years from now, it's set me up well for retirement. It's set me up well for the next stage of my life. Spiritually, we do the same. We invest in others. We care for others because of the payoff down the road. There are some people we'll invest in, and we might never see the benefit of it this side of heaven. It'll only be in heaven when we see the ripple effects of what our lives have done, what what our service has done that we understand, okay, yeah, this was worth it. This was totally worth it. They say that a cynic is someone who knows the cost of everything and the value of nothing. They can tell you exactly what everything costs, but they're not aware of the value of anything. And one of my fears is that as a people and as a culture, we've become spiritual cynics. We know how much it'll cost us at any given time to serve others, to care for others. And that's all we know, is we just know the cost, but we don't know the value. And I want you to think about a second. Think about the three fears we've talked about. Think about the things that we talked about replacing them with. Imagine a group of people who no longer were afraid of pain because they saw it as an investment. A group of people who no longer were worried about their identity because their identity was secure in Christ. A group of people who no longer were afraid of missing out because they had purpose. Imagine a group of people with purpose, their identity in Christ, who were not afraid of pain. What could a group of people like that do in a community? How many lives would be changed when people said, you know what, if God says it, I'll do it because the payoff is there. And I'm not going to worry about myself because God has said he'll take care of me and my Christian brothers and sisters are going to take care of me and we're going to go forward. Because there are people in our community that are desperately crying out for someone to love them. And it's going to take effort. It's going to take all of us reaching out. It's going to take all of us saying, you matter. But it's worth it. It's worth it. And the only thing holding most of us back is fear. What will it cost? How much will I have to give up? Is it really worth it? But we know that it is. And so what I want us to do right now is I want us to just spend a moment in prayer. Before, um, the, uh, before we do offering, before we do communion or anything like that, I want us to spend just a moment in prayer. And I want us to kind of just, just not out loud, but just between us and God, what fear is holding you back? Which of those fears is holding you back? 
Maybe it's one, maybe it's all three of them, I don't know. But fear loses power when we confront it. Fear grows in the dark. When you bring it out in the light and you name it and you say, I'm not going to worry about this anymore, I'm giving it to God, it loses its grip on you. Because I know God's calling each and every single one of us to be a part of something, to be a part of something bigger, to invest in others. It'd be silly to let something as small, it's real, but it's some, it'd be silly to let something as small as fear keep us from doing that. So we're going to pray, and after that, we're going to take up, um, we'll have a time of communion and offering. My dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that we would be a people that lean hard into you. Lord, that we would not allow fears to hold us back. Lord, we know that if you're capable of creating the heavens and earth, you're capable of handling our fears. And so, Lord, whatever fear is holding each of us back, whether it's the fear of missing out on things, whether it's the fear of I'm going to disappear and no one's going to notice me, or whether it's the fear of, Lord, this just sounds painful. This just sounds like it's going to hurt. Lord, I pray that we would trust you. You are the only one that's conquered death. So we can trust you with our lives. And so, Lord, make us a church, make us a people who lean hard into you and who are not afraid. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. If you're someone today who's never accepted Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life, please today after the service stop by our prayer room and talk to one of our prayer counselors. Because nothing on earth will matter as much as your life when you give it to Christ. Nothing on earth will ever, ever compare to the power of Jesus working through you. I'm going to invite James and Robin up here now to kind of lead us through a time of... Or just James, whatever. It's all good. It's all good. So, if you would, give them a round of applause.